Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Pastor Josh Karstensen is concluding a series on 1 John. In John's farewell address, he shares four big things we need to know that are rooted in the truth that Jesus is God and he loves you more than you can imagine. They are, first, you can know God. Second, you can talk to God anytime. Third, you can have victory over sin. And fourth, we can know what's true. After the message, you're invited to participate in communion if you're a follower of Christ. There's nothing inherently special about the elements. Jesus used what was in front of him. It's what the bread and wine represent that's important. So, find something to eat and drink now so you're ready at the end. Now, here's today's message. Well, welcome to one service. Welcome to Summer at Northwest Hills. And yeah, it's good to be together. It's fun. Uh, we, we really wrestled a lot with whether or not to do one service. And we were right on the edge. Is, is this a good idea or not? And I mean, literally for a month or two. And uh, I feel good about it. I feel good. So thank you for, you know, getting a little cozy. You know, obviously we're missing a huge chunk of college kids now, which is nice in terms of freeing up space. We will miss them. Um, <laughs> But they will be back come next year. But it's good to be here. And, and here's the primary reason why we're gathering in one service. And in, well, it's easier in some ways, but the primary reason is because coming off of the last couple years, uh, coming out of 1 John and John's heart for us to truly love one another is we have an opportunity to do things with one service that we just cannot do with, sec- with having two, uh, primarily in terms of getting to know one another, spending time with each other. So I would highly encourage you, like James just said, take the opportunity after service every single week. We're going to have some sort of snack this week. I think it's nachos um, and hang out for a while. Like think ahead, think about like bring a lunch you know, like go play on our volleyball court, go on the back 40. We have a disc golf thing. We've got kids area. They can run feral out there. They can be like, it's, there's a creek and a hill. They're kind of stuck in there. So you can put them back there um, and think ahead. How, How can I hang out with people? You know, and if it's not here, like, how can I hang out with people outside of church, people who don't know the Lord yet? Like, be strategic with this summer. And having one service just gives us a lot more freedom, a lot more time to be able to do that. So grab people, go to the river, go to the lake, go to the beach, go on a hike, sit in your backyard, have a bonfire, but really invest. Because ultimately, if we are loved by God, our call is then to go and love other people. And the world will know us by our love. And so we want to be a people who are just absolutely committed to full sending to make Jesus known by loving each other. And we think we can do that effectively with one service. So there you have it. Next week, uh, we are starting an 11-week series through the one chapter of Hebrews 11. Um, We're looking at faith. Uh, We did 14 weeks through 1 John. Um, next year, don't worry, we'll make up for it. We're going to do the entire Bible in a year. So we're going to dive deep, and then next week will be very broad uh, next year. But we're looking at faith next week. What is faith? What isn't faith? What's the relationship between uh, faith and certainty? 
You know, there's a, there's a gradient there sometimes of, of how sure am I of certain things? What does it mean when I doubt my faith? What does that look like? And we're going to look at story after story of men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 who had to trust the Lord in seasons of hardship, ultimately where God was faithful and where he continued to work both here and now, right? Like God brings heaven to earth through us now and also for a future hope through our faith of heaven to come. Because not all of them saw the promises that God made ultimately here and now, but they had a future to look forward to. And so we're going to work through that in 11 weeks. JJ next week will be kicking that off. So come encourage the guy. I am on a, a trip next week that we have had planned for three years. So if you know the COVID like push out, like my family has had this trip planned. So pray that we can all make it. Who knows? So pray for me. As we are getting into 1 John, the last, uh, the last kind of farewell, if you will, uh, John's going to do something, and, and he's going to give us kind of just very straightforward conclusion in a lot of ways to what we've been learning the last 13 weeks. And I want you to kind of get an image in your mind. I want you to get a feeling in your mind of what this would have been like as John is, is writing to this church. And I want you to think about a parent, probably a dad, it's Father's Day, dropping a kid off at university for the first time. Now, not all of us went to university. Quite frankly, not all of us had dads. Not all of us who went to university and had dads wanted to be dropped off at school. I mean, quite frankly, my parents were begging me, like, can we please take you to college orientation? I'm like, no, no, like, I love you, but I'm going to go do my own thing. Like, I, I, I remember packing my car, and it's like, okay, I got my skateboard, I got my surfboard, I got a little bit of clothes, I got way too much stereo, I've got a moonroof that is open, I got a picture of my new girlfriend, Megan, on my dash. I'm going to college, and uh, see you later, mom and dad. Uh, and that wasn't because of my mom and dad. Like, they're awesome. They still are. That was because of me. But I want you to think through what it would be like if you had a parent, if you had a dad who's sitting with you in the car, and he's about to say goodbye to you as you're leaving for your freshman year. And you're about to get out the car, and he's, he's got this opportunity. He's got this opportunity to say, hey, for the last 18 years of your life, I've taught you what it meant to be a Carstensen. Right? I taught you what it meant to be a carpless. I taught you what it meant to be a right. Like we, we've taught you all these things. And, and here I'm going to give you like the four big things that you need to know that you can bank your life on as you are leaving. And you are no longer just under my household. You are going to go be a, a, a woman or a man on your own. And you got to hold on to this. This is this farewell speech, if you will. You remember um, the church was struggling, um, division from the inside, people were leaving. There's all kinds of, you know, who is God? Who is Jesus? Can we know the real God? Right? We talked about the struggle of what it would be like to be in kind of this church split where people that you were doing life with, people that you were going to birthday parties with, people you were in community group with are now leaving the church and they're saying, I don't believe the things that I used to believe. And, and you can imagine if you were kind of stuck back there, your mind's got to be going, man, what can I really hold on to? These people that I knew are saying all these new things. And John saying, no, there are things that you can know. The, um, the people, the publishers who, who kind of uh, sparse or parse out the different uh, portions of Scripture have a title for this. And if you look in your Bible, I think it's in, I actually didn't check our pew Bibles. Uh, but it says, that you may know. 
And seven different times in this passage, we're going to see the word no. So if you're an underliner, feel free to underline that. But he's going to say, you can be sure that you can be sure that you can be sure. You can know this. You can bank on it. I've lived my life with Jesus. I knew him well. And you can take this to the bank. And he's going to give us four big kind of conclusions as he wraps up the book. In order to open up our section of scripture, though, I'm going to have Kathy. Kathy, would you come on up? And would the rest of you stand? And we're going to read the scripture. It is 1 John chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. You can grab a seat. Thank you, Kathy. So we got four things here that, again, uh, just picture you got a parent, their kid is walking out the door, and before they go, they're saying, hey, I, I, I want you to hold on to this. I, I, I don't have all the influence over your life that I have had over the last 18 years, but you can bank your life on what I'm about to tell you. And he starts out with what I believe is the most important. The first thing he says is he ultimately says, you can know God. In verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Right? This is the most, in question, most important question that we will ask ourselves ever. This is the most important question that all of us have to answer. Is there a God that exists? Is there a God that exists that I can know? Not just is there this idea of a God that exists out there somewhere, but is there a God who exists who I can know? And John's going to say, hey, the most important thing about your life is you got to know who God is. And he makes it clear, and we've wrestled through kind of this this whole series of, well, how do I know who God is? He says, you got to believe in Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. you got to believe that. You can know who God is. This is the most important thing about him. And think about uh, the different uh, things that John experienced in his life as he lived life closely with Jesus. We talked about how John was Jesus' closest friend. And last year as we went through the whole book of John, we saw a bunch of different miracles that John talked about. And you look back and you think through some of the different things that John saw. right? You, you think about the fact that he saw Jesus turn water into wine at that wedding. You think about the fact that he heals his official's son, that he gave a paralytic um, the ability to walk. Remember the pool of Bethesda when this guy was sitting there. And Jesus says, do you want to walk? And he heals him. Uh, Jesus, or, uh, sorry, John saw Jesus feed 5,000 people from one person's small lunch. He saw him walk on water. 
He gave sight to a man born blind. John saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And if that wasn't enough, John was there holding on to Jesus' mother as Jesus was put on a cross, as ultimately the sky turns black, as ultimately there is a massive earthquake and Jesus' lifeless body lay on that cross. John was there. John was there three days later when Jesus says, hey, look at my hands. When he says, this is my resurrected body. John, of all people, is the absolute best eyewitness that anyone could ever have. And John's saying, you can know God. And in order to know God, you got to know Jesus. So my son, my daughter, as I'm about to leave, as our communication is not that frequent anymore, you got to know that you can know God. He also, in his book, he, he wrote in such a way where he knows that we're going to doubt ourselves sometimes. And what does it mean to know God? How do I know if I know the right God? Is Jesus really God? And he gives us kind of three different proofs throughout his uh, book, throughout this letter, of how can we be sure that we know the real God. He gives us these three things that we've talked about. He says, you believe that Jesus is God. That's the first thing. And then he says, are you pursuing obedience and do you love other people? And those are kind of a package deal, right? Because if you say you believe in Jesus, you'll also be committed to obeying. If you have a life of radical disobedience and you don't care, you're clearly showing, I don't believe in this. So he says, if you love Jesus, if you believe that he is God, if you're pursuing obedience, if you love other people, that is an absolutely clear demonstration of you knowing the one true God. So as we start kind of this this final piece, I just got to ask us, do you know God? It is the most important question that we will ever ask. You know, the, the beautiful thing about being a part of a church where people come from all different places is every single month I'm talking to different people here and there who are saying, man, I'm, I'm checking it out. I'm not quite sure what I believe. And John is telling to his kids, he's telling to this church You got to know that Jesus is God. Ultimately, if you have not made that decision, I'm I'm going to do something I don't I almost never do in the middle of service. I'm just going to give us an opportunity right now. I'm going to give you the opportunity. I want you to just close your eyes. God, give us the ability to believe that you are God. God, if there is anyone in this room right now who's struggling to try to figure out who you are, God, would you just show them your goodness? Would you show them your infinite love for us as poured out on Jesus? God, I thank you that we can take a moment here in a, in a church setting like this, in the middle of whatever hectic week we got going on, and we can say, you know what? My life matters because there's a God who exists who loves me infinitely. God, we also want to recognize that because you exist, we have an obligation to follow you. God, you are holy, you are right, you are good. God, give us the ability to see what we cannot on our own. We love you. Amen. He continues and he talks about that you may know that you have eternal life. We all have this longing to want to have a secure future. 
Right? Even this last week, I got two different calls from people this last week uh, on behalf of someone else in their family, an older person, people in their 90s who are you know, getting close to the end of life. And, and they're like, hey, I'd like them to talk to a pastor so that they can be secure that they have hope for eternal life. We all have this. Like When you're young, most of us, we can forget about this and we can kind of just push it out to the future. But eventually, we will all get to the spot in our life where we want that eternal life. We want it. And John says you can be secure if you put your faith and hope in Jesus. He goes on number two and he says, you can talk to God and he is with you. Read this in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Again, think about a parent dropping a kid off, and he's like, hey, I'm not going to be there, but guess what? You can talk to the Lord any time that you want, any single time. And, and we think about life, and we think about there are seasons where we're feeling isolated, we're feeling alone, we're feeling by ourselves, and, and John's telling all of us, you can talk to God. He is present with you all the time, which is pretty wild to think about. There is an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God who exists, who causes everything to exist out of nothing, who is willing to listen to me. Like who's willing as a good father that James kind of talked about earlier, willing to say, hey, I am with you. I am for you. You can come to me anytime. And he talks about prayer in two different ways. He talks about both petition and intercession. This first section, he's talking about petition, right? In verses 14 and 15. And ultimately, petition is coming to God in prayer and saying, God, this is what's going on in my life. God, I'm struggling here. Right, God, there's been the season of my life where maybe my wife and I are not seeing eye to eye. Or maybe like life at work has been really challenging, God, and my boss is not that great, God, would you, would you help here? God, maybe it's my, my health is failing me, I'm getting towards the end of my life, and God, would you give me strength? Right? Maybe it's, man, Lord, I had two more years left until retirement, and then the stock market just fell out from beneath me, and I'm afraid, I don't know what I'm going to do. God, would you give me peace where I don't have peace? He says, come to the Lord with your concerns. Come to the Lord. You're going to be on your own for a season doing your own thing because I'm not with you, John says to this church, but God is present. You can come to him anytime. John reminds us that we can be honest to God and that he hears us in our prayers. And we always know that God answers prayer in three ways, right? Yes, no, or later. Right? Those are always the answers. And we remember that when we pray, we're not trying to coerce the arm of God. Ultimately, we're trying to align our wills to God's will. So when I pray last week, I had a prayer that went like this. I'm just going to be vulnerable and honest. I had a prayer that went like this. I said, God, I've got a 17-year-old nephew who's diagnosed with a, a health situation that no one wants to be diagnosed with. And I'm praying, God, would you miraculously heal him? Because I believe that you can. God, would you heal him in such a way that you would get glory? And God, if it's not through a miraculous hand of yours, through common grace, through the doctors, through whatever procedure is going to happen on Tuesday and whatever aftermath follow-up needs to happen in the weeks and months to come, Lord, would you heal him? God, but not my will, but your will be done. Because God, if you choose not to heal him so that you will be made known through not healing him, God, I'm going to trust you in that. But the invitation is that we would come to him regularly in petition. He continues on and he talks about intercession in verses 16 and 17. And I'm going to be honest. All of scripture is true. 
Not all of scripture is clear. (laughs) I laugh and my friend, Pastor Zach here laughs as well, because as this was being read, he looks at me and says, good luck. (laughs) Verse 16 is perhaps one of the most unclear pieces of scripture in the entire New Testament. And I'm, I'm going to actually read it in the NIV because it's, it's a little bit more straightforward than the ESV here. And I'm going to give you a couple of guesses that I got as to what this means. You can wrestle with the rest. Starting in verse 16, it says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, now here's my best stab at a couple things. Philosophically, we know, and, and I can make the argument, and I have done this multiple times. Ultimately, we do know that all sin does lead to death. And, and here's why on a philosophical level. If we have an infinite obligation to obey someone, which we do because God exists and is infinite, Uh, In our disobedience, we are due infinite punishment, right? And ultimately, that is why um, hell is eternal, because we have an infinite obligation to obey God. But here in our common understanding, we read the phrase, there is a sin that, that does not lead to death. Now, I have to believe two things are true. One, I have to believe that there is some sort of common understanding in that day where something was said that they all understood that culturally we just don't know what they're talking about at that point. I have to believe that that's true. The other side of this is I'm going to give you my best interpretation for what he means. And what I'm about to say is true. It may not necessarily be true that this is what John was trying to communicate, but I'm going to share what is true about this whole concept of interceding for one another. So let's say that I have a friend. Let's say I have a, let's say I have a relative, because that makes it nice and close. And I got tons of relatives. Let's say I got a relative who at one point truly confessed faith in the Lord. So we believe that they are eternally secure. I believe that they will be with Christ forever if they made that true confession and they believe that. But they're in a season where they, have, um, where they are not walking in obedience whatsoever. Now, the the invitation here is pray for that person. Not pray that, Lord, maybe they will be saved, but pray for them that God would restore them in this life now so that they would experience the fullness of what life with Christ is like now. Ultimately, not because I have a fear of where they will be eternally, but for for them to be restored right now. So that's my best guess at what John's trying to say there. Ultimately, I will let you guys wrestle with that. But he continues on talking about the fact that we can intercede for others. And think about in the context of this church, why was this important? It was important within the church because people were leaving the church. People who were once committed followers were leaving, no longer claiming onto orthodoxy. And and John's making it very clear, hey, as people are leaving, pray for them. Like pray for your brothers and sisters who have left. And man, I'll, I'll be honest, like, How often do we have people in our lives who confessed faith at one point, who have walked away, and it's easy not to pray for them anymore, because sometimes you start to lose hope. You start to lose hope that they will come back. You start to lose hope that, man, they will be restored to what communion with life in the body looks like now and what life with God looks like now, and you kind of push it out there and say, well, at least they got eternity coming, and John's reminding us, no, intercede for them, pray for them, continuously pray for them. 
The third point says you can have victory over sin and security in your salvation because you belong to God. We read this in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. My wife and I have three daughters. Right? We've got a 10-year-old. Her name's Charlotte. We call her Char Baby. We've got an eight-year-old, Whitney. We call her Woo. We have a five-year-old, Penelope. We call her Peeps. These girls will always be our daughters. They will always have our blood. They will always have my heart. Right? I'm not ignorant to, to believe that maybe there will be a season where they will walk away from us. I pray that that is not the case. But no matter what they do, I'm telling you, my heart will always be theirs. Because they are mine. They are born of us. They are our children. And John's saying, if you are born of God, God is, you are always God's child. Always. No matter what you decide to do with your life, God will never leave you. Therefore, stop sinning. Right? And I, I believe that he says this for two different reasons. The first one I believe that he talks about this is to give Christians hope who are struggling with sin. Right, the reality is, at different points of our life, all of us go through seasons where we struggle with sin. And, and man, after talking to enough people and after living enough, we know that we can go down seasons of life where we feel like, you know what, maybe God doesn't necessarily want to hear from me anymore. Right, or, or maybe that church really wouldn't want me around. Or maybe this relationship ought not to be restored because I've caused a lot of hurt and I've caused a lot of pain. And John's reminding us, hey, no matter where you're going in life, like God is always with you. No matter what sin, like whether it's addiction or whether you've blown up some marriage or whether you've blown up some friendship or whether you've done what you ought not to do, you can always come back. God is always with you. So do not lose heart. He continues on, I think the second reason that he wrote this was like the second point, to give hope to Christians who have other Christian friends who have walked away, right? We all know people, like I just talked about, we all know people who at one point were confessing, I believe that Jesus is Lord and have walked away, right? Whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend, right? Whether it's a child, we all know people in this stage. And I believe John is writing to say, hey, do not give up hope. Because what does he say here in verse 18? He says, but he who was born of God, he's referring to Jesus here, protects him, protects the Christian, and the evil one does not touch him. Right now, what does this mean? Because you know, if we've lived life long enough, we, we have experienced seasons where, man, it sure certainly feels like the evil one is touching him. I think big picture, he's talking about the reality that he will not take salvation from them. We have a security that if you have put your faith in Christ, ultimately you have a promised future to come, right? Which gives so much confidence when we go through seasons where people that we know and love deeply are not walking like they ought to walk. Lastly, he ends on this. And I think this is incredibly important. He says, you can know what is true. This is the very last thing that he says. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary um, chose the word of the year, and the, year, or the word was post-truth, which is kind of interesting, this idea that truth doesn't really matter. And the reality is, I think that fad went 
very quickly. It came and went, and now it's like, no, 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 truth is actually really, really important. Because if you're paying attention now, it's like, we got two different worlds promulgating two different very strong truth claims. Right? There was a, an article from the Washington Post last year in January um, that was titled this, and I'm not making a political statement, but follow me in this. The article was titled, Trump's false or misleading claims totaled 30,573 over four years. It goes on to say this. uh, When the Washington Post fact checker team first started cataloging President Trump's false um, or misleading claims, we recorded 492 suspect claims in the first 100 days of his presidency. On November 2nd alone, the day before the 2020 vote, Trump made 503 false or misleading claims as he barnstormed across the country in a desperate effort to win re-election. Now, I'm not getting up here making any claim about what was said and what wasn't and what was true and what isn't true. What I'm up here saying is we are constantly making claims about what we think is true and what we think other people say is untrue. This is the world that we live in. And we've talked about this throughout our study in 1 John. We are living in very interesting times in terms of the truth claims that are being spoken. Because think with me for a minute. If you are dropping your kid off for university for the first time right now, what kind of world are you dropping them off into in terms of truth claims that are being spoken very, very openly and honestly? I mean, there's all kinds of truth claims out here that are really confusing, that are all over the place, and that are quite contradictory to one another. Right? You think about truth claims of like, uh, you know, gender and sexuality being uh, disconnected from one another. You think about the claims of like, well, you can marry whoever you want, whenever you want. Literally yesterday, I read an article that someone married themselves. Oh, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. And I thought, actually, that's really consistent with a lot of things that I read. Right? You, you, true story. I guess, if that's true... That's my point. You think about, you know, people saying, oh, social Marxism is, is what we need as a country. You think about all the different claims. And, and here's the thing. Where do we go from here? Where do we go when half of a nation says this path is literally the path that we need to walk down that leads towards human flourishing? And we have another half of the country that says, no, that path is literally what leads to destruction. How do you move forward? That's a good question. How do you move forward? And John is saying to this church that is struggling as people are having all these different types of truth claims, he's writing to say, no, no, you can know what's true. He says this in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. Little children, and listen to how he ends, keep yourselves from idols. The end. Keep yourselves from believing all the different worldviews that are being thrown out there that are the newest, latest, and greatest. This is what it means to thrive. This is what life ought to look like. No, there is one truth that you need to hold on to, and it is the truth that Jesus is God. 
And it is the truth that he loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And you think through all the different claims that John has made throughout the story. And he's saying, ultimately, build your life on a foundation that is secure. And as you're building your life, build it on the foundation that is Jesus. Build it on a foundation of deep, radical, sacrificial love for one another. Build your life by living like Jesus in obedience to God, right? Build your life by testing all the different truth claims that the world has to offer because they are everywhere. They are abundant. Build your life on a radical confidence that you are loved exactly where you are right now in this moment. And God also invites you to continue to grow. Build your life as an identity of a son or daughter because of the crown of Jesus. As John wrapped it up, he gave us four things. He says, you can know God. You can talk to God. He is with you. We can have victory over sin and security in your salvation because you belong to God and you can know what is true. As we wrap it up, we're going to end with ultimately what gave us the ability to believe and to know what is true, and that is the life and death of Jesus. And so, band, why don't you come on up here? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. Father God, we as a church have just spent 14 weeks going through this letter, this love letter from John. This love letter from the grandfather of a church who lived through all kinds of hardship and trial, right? Whether it's having to flee Jerusalem, God, whether it's leaving a thousand miles away to go be at this church in Ephesus, whether it's the pain of having a government against you. God, we saw ultimately his deepest longing was for this church who was experiencing pain from within, for them to know what's true and to love one another. God, as we think about life here, God, I thank you that we can hold on to something that is true, that we can build our lives on a foundation that is right and that is good. And that foundation was established when you rose from the dead, Jesus. Anyone can come and claim a bunch of things. Even people have done miracles. God, but no one has made the claim that they are God and risen from the dead like you. And so we sit here as a church and and we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to say, God, thank you for your life, your life that gave us the ability to know what is right, to know what is good. Jesus, we pray all this in your beautiful, precious name. Amen. We encourage you to take communion at your seat. You've got the little packet there um, of the the wafer and the the grape juice. Um, uh, Bryce and and Connor are going to play softly just for a little bit as you just reflect on Christ's sacrifice for you. After a little bit, uh, we will continue in worship singing of God's great love for us and the power of his blood in our lives.